Welcome into episode 91 of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. A fun double bonus show this week with Shannon and Kevin doing the full Super Bowl preview and talking a little bit of NASCAR. But because we had the NBA trade deadline, had Andrew on with us to talk how the NBA landscape has changed this week, some radical transformations. He's going to give us some more in-depth on that, which this is nice to have two episodes this week because in two weeks I will be out of the country. So had to make up some episodes here. So happy to do two shows this week. And then Andrew and I are talking about doing our own all-star draft next week. So try to have him back on to name the best and the brightest of of the NBA season so far. But this week we did have the NBA trade deadline and it kind of all circles around the Brooklyn Nets and how they are planning for the future, and a couple other teams look like they're in win-now mode. So I will let Andrew take it away, and what happened, and what do we make of the Mavericks and the Suns making some mega moves with the Nets? Yeah, we had to call an emergency podcast. I know you didn't really have this planned, but I hit you up this morning and said, hey, Darren, I got I to gotta get on and do a show with you right now after I woke up to the Kevin Durant trade, which happened in the middle of the night and figured that we should, we should probably talk about it because this is probably one of the wildest trade deadlines that I can remember in a long time. So it really all started earlier this week when the Nets traded away Kyrie to the Dallas Mavericks for – uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and uh, three first-round picks, as well as some other pieces, um, and that really set things in motion. And you knew that maybe KD wasn't going to be happy, kind of being on an island. Uh, Dinwiddie as well, getting reunited with the Nets and Kevin Durant, which is kind of an interesting move, but. I thought uh, the Nets got a really nice trade package out of the Kyrie deal um, with all the picks that they got back. And I thought that maybe they would try and ride this thing out with Kevin Durant and see where it goes with just KD and putting a a somewhat decent team around him. Uh, But that was not to be. And I, I thought maybe they would move Kevin Durant, but not until this summer. And the Nets chose to kind of move Kevin Durant this morning, uh, early in the morning, if you're on the East Coast, or late at night, if you're on the West Coast. Uh, but they got back Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, who they already traded, and four first-round picks and a, a pick swap, I believe. So two mega deals for the Brooklyn Nets right there, and that's really the um, the main crux of the – NBA trade deadline. There were a lot of other minor deals that, that came off of that, but that, that move that the Suns made specifically, well, we had people thinking after the Kyrie trade are the Mavs contenders, but now I think the Suns kind of become the favorite in the West now after this Kevin Durant trade, given the fact that they have CP3, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and DeAndre Ayton all on the same team. So what say you, Darren? I I get that Kevin Durant is kind of always a little upset, but I had no idea he wanted out of Brooklyn that bad. And like you say, maybe it is once Kyrie was out of town that pushed him over the edge of wanting to leave. I, I do wonder were the Nets crawling or calling around because he was upset, or did somebody knock on the door and say, Hey, how about this? I, I do think it does make the Nets a very dangerous contender. I think they're going to fly up the Western Conference standings right now. Let's see, where are they? Like third or fourth best? I thought they, they dipped a little bit with some injuries. But I think they're immediately back in there. My question is chemistry. I, I think this is very much Chris Paul and Devin Booker's team. And KD has said before he does. CBS Sports is going to talk over me. Um, but he's... Kevin Durant and that personality, how does that mesh with this team where they've kind of already been established? I don't like when you lose good glue locker room guys. People like Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges know their roles and now they're gone. Can KD adapt to Booker, Aiton, and Paul who have kind of created this culture in this team? How does he fit with them without blowing it up? It'd be my biggest concern. Otherwise, just based on on on-floor talent, you'd have to think that the Suns are absolutely the top team in the East or in the West right now. Yeah, I think you hit on a, a really good point. That's kind of the thing that people don't think about with um, mega trades like this one. 
obviously the most talented starting five in the NBA right now in Phoenix, I think, when everybody's healthy, without a question. But you're right, that chemistry and who's going to kind of be the guy when it's a late game and is that Kevin Durant? Is that Devin Booker? Is that Chris Paul? Who Who's taking the last shot? I guess it really could be any one of them, right, depending on what you need. But, um, I mean, obviously – a healthy Kevin Durant, a healthy Devin Booker. We saw what the Suns did against the Bucks that one year, but they were it felt like they were a deeper team. They gave up Cam Johnson too. I didn't I didn't mention that. He's a good rotational piece as well. So I I don't know. I mean, you have a great starting five, but you lack depth, and so you're really at risk of an injury really derailing your playoff run. An injury to any one of those four key guys will really derail things for the Phoenix Suns. And similarly for the Mavericks, they give up a lot of depth for Kyrie Irving just to put Kyrie and Luka together. And I know you you may not be the biggest fan of that one, but the, the talent of Kyrie Irving is undeniable. And I think that's why teams kind of keep talking themselves into Kyrie is because you see the talent, even though maybe the chemistry doesn't always mesh well with Kyrie and the teams that he's been on in the past few years. And I'll get to Mr. Irving here in a minute. Just looking at the, the Suns though, and I'm assuming that the, the Suns are just taking over KD's full contract. He's signed through the 25, 26 seasons. They have him for three years after this. Is that correct? Did... Yep. That's, that's 100% correct. Yep. So just looking at this, they already have the fifth highest payroll. And then you add Durant to that. Devin Booker, his, contract is going to skyrocket up to the 50 million by 2024-25 KD and Booker are both going to be 50 million plus guys are DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul both going to stick around making 30 million a year when those two are getting 50 or are they going to say hey where's our money all four of these guys are signed through 24-25 and then CP3 would be out and the other three would be together just wonder like you mentioned the depth and the and the bench how much money do you have to go to these other guys? Cause they really don't have anybody signed through this year. Other than those top four Landry Shamet and campaign would be the only other guys is maybe it is. Hey, we don't need anymore. We have these four, you know, just give us a fifth guy to be kind of like the Miami heat when it was, you know, we have Chris Bosch, LeBron and Dwayne Wade. What more do we need? Yeah, that's exactly what this is now. Um, it's those four plus a bunch of veteran minimum guys, guys who are, old and kind of on the fringes of the NBA. I mean, you're going to see the Danny greens, the John walls, when he hits the open market, all those kinds of guys, uh, Deandre Jordan. I feel like wherever Kevin Durant goes now, Deandre Jordan isn't far behind. <laughs> so we'll see, uh, because apparently Kevin Durant loves Deandre Jordan. So we'll see Deandre Jordan in Phoenix soon. I, f- I feel like, so yeah, that's what you're going to get is just a bunch of these veteran type guys who are making veteran minimum. I mean, maybe PJ Tucker is, is back around in Phoenix for a second, second run with the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who knows? Who knows? They're, they're going to have to hit that veteran buyout market now. And there's going to be several candidates that are, um, you know, going to hit that buyout market like, Patrick Beverly, who was traded, Reggie Jackson, who was traded. John Wall's going to be available. Yep, yep. (laughs) Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is going to be available. That's another deal that we can talk about because Russell Westbrook got traded too. But um, he'll absolutely be available, and I don't know if he'll have any interest in the Phoenix Suns or if the Suns will be interested in Westbrook, but that's another name that will be thrown around out there. But that's – you, you raise a good point, and that's really going to become the thing is the Phoenix Suns are going into the luxury tax big time with all these contracts that they have now with Kevin Durant in the fold. And you also have to wonder how much longer Chris Paul is going to play. I think that's really the thing with Chris Paul is, is this his last year? Is next year his last year? Is he playing out his contract completely? So those are the kinds of questions that Phoenix has on their plate right now, but get a new owner and make a splash move. They just got a new owner like a couple of weeks ago in Phoenix, I believe. So making a splash 
in his first ever move as an owner and getting Kevin Durant is quite something. March 13th, it's a Monday night. The Suns go to the Golden State Warriors. It's the only time this year in the regular season that we'll play each other for the rest of the way. They would meet in the playoffs. I have to assume that KD with the Nets played against the Warriors at least once. But how much would those Warrior fans love to destroy the Phoenix Suns? More so in a playoff series, but if you don't get that, that March 13th, KD returning to Golden State. That's going to be something. I mean, all these Western Conference teams, I feel like, loaded up because the Mavs got Kyrie, the Suns get KD, but the Clippers made a lot of sneaky under-the-radar moves that I think improved them as well, getting Bones Highland and Mason Plumley to back up Zubak, quality backup center there. So, and I really like Bones Highland as a scorer and playmaker off the bench. So they, they got a couple of pieces there in Clipperland too. They brought back Eric Gordon as a shooter off the bench. Who knows what Eric Gordon has left in the tank. It's all these Western conference teams that were, that are kind of um, have underachieved or underperformed like the Clippers, the Warriors got better today. I, I feel like as well. Um, so it's just a, been a very interesting day and Western conference teams are, are loading up because they view the Western conference as wide open. And we've talked about it on this podcast before we, yeah, we think the nuggets are good and probably the favorite, but we don't think they're an unbeatable team that, you know, now with the, what the Suns have in place, what other teams have in place, I think any one of those teams can take on the Denver Nuggets and don't have a chance. So the Nuggets are 38 and 17 right now. They're five games ahead of the next best team, the Grizzlies, 33 wins. The Mavericks and Suns, both at 30 and 26, you have to assume those are going to be the two big jumpers and the Clippers there with 31 wins as well. It's like you say, it's an arms race. Your teams at the top mostly stood pat, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Kings, as weird of a sentence as that is to say. Those three seeming, you know, for the most part, stood firm in what they are. And that's, look at what the Nuggets and the Grizzlies have. When's the last time the Nuggets made a splashy move? Was that for Aaron Gordon? But they've really kind of got their core. Both those teams really have their core guys in place. The Kings are still young and developing and moving pieces around, but it's everybody behind them felt like they got closer you and I had very different opinions on the Kyrie and Luca. I don't see how that pairing works to very uh, excitable personalities. We'll call them. I don't see how you run that together with both those guys being ball dominant players. And it, I just feel like it's going to suck all the air out of the room just between those two. I, I like guys like Spencer Dinwiddie as a locker room guy and Dorian Finney Smith as a good role player. I just, I struggle to see how the Mavericks got better with those two together. That's, that's what I'm trying to picture is those two playing together. But yeah, like you say, you go further down, the Timberwolves got better, the Warriors got better, the Blazers got a little bit better. So it just feels like the the rest of the pack is about to catch up to the Nuggets and the Grizzlies. The Lakers got better too. I'm not quite sure it'll be enough to make any sort of a serious run. I do think they can make a run at the play-in game now with what they the moves that they made and getting D'Angelo Russell. And they got Hachimura a while ago, but they also got Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt and Mo Bamba. Um, a couple of those guys are going to help the defense, and a couple of those guys are going to help the shooting slash playmaking. And D'Angelo Russell, I think, is going to be good because LeBron won't have to make every play all the time off of the dribble. And that's kind of what I, I think about the Mavericks with Kyrie. I think it's the best that they could have done for this year's addition of the Dallas Mavericks is get Kyrie and try and make a run at it that way. Because if you watch the Mavericks when Luca was off the floor, yeah, Dinwiddie's a nice player, but he's not really the playmaker that Kyrie is. And so now you can kind of stagger those minutes so that one of those two guys is on the floor at all times. And so your offense doesn't bog down quite as much as it does with the Luca on Luca off stats that were just astronomical for the Mavericks earlier in the season. So that's, that's kind of how I see it. And then also we can talk about like the effect that this has on the East. 
right? Because it really eliminated the Nets as a contender altogether. And so now the Bucks and the Celtics are probably some of the biggest winners in this trade deadline, right? With all these good players going to the West seemingly and not a lot of guys coming back East. Yeah, that's what surprises me. I didn't realize the Nets were throwing in the towel. I thought they were a legit Eastern Conference contender, and now they feel like they are maybe the ninth or tenth best team by the end of the year. Yeah, if you're the Celtics and Bucks, you just kind of sat back and said, all right, this is pretty excellent. And we've talked on the show plenty. I am a huge Jay Crowder fan. I think I think he's the one of those guys you want on your team. He's going to do the dirty work. He's going to be the dog. He's going to be the high-energy guy that he's going to pick up the slack. And now you add him to the Bucks, who are already loaded for bear. I, I've kind of been on the Bucks all year, and I just think the Rich just got richer adding him to this team. Yeah, that's perfect because they can play Crowder in the playoff minutes that they were playing Grayson Allen in last year. And I'd much rather have Grayson Allen because, like you said, he's going to play great defense and rebound and just be tough and make tough plays. And that's what P.J. Tucker did. The year that the Bucks won the championship, P.J. Tucker just kind of played that kind of a role where he was just a great wing defender who got into the other team's best player, was just annoying, and brought some of that toughness that you need from a role player on a championship run. And, yeah, the, the Bucks were really missing that in the playoffs last year. Well, Middleton went down. They can't They can't win it all with Middleton being down obviously, even if they do have Jay Crowder. But I thought that was a big win. Um, big win for second-round picks because apparently those get tossed around like candy and get <laughs> you get you uh, quality players because the Bucks traded Jay Crowder for Jay Crowder and gave up five second-rounders. Uh, the Warriors gave up five second-rounders, which netted them Gary Payton the second, basically. Like they acquired five second rounders and then immediately flipped those to the Blazers for Gary Payton the second. I don't understand. They traded Wiseman too. Yeah, you have to imagine. Um, there's like somebody had to do some analysis on like NBA second round picks. How many of them actually pan out for them to just so freely throw them around? You know, for every Draymond Green or Manu Ginobili, how many never even set foot on the floor guys are there? There were just multiple trades. There were three trades today that involved five second round picks. And then multiple others that involved like three or two second round picks. It's like teams are just throwing around, you know, like they're like Oprah with these second round picks. You get a second round pick and you get a second round pick and you get a second round pick. It's been, it's been kind of nuts today. So big, big win for second round picks today. Yeah, the, I think the Nets are trying to catch up to the Jazz and the Thunder in the total draft pick. Would they get like nine picks today? And it just, I, I get that they're two very different sports and sorry, hockey and MLB fans. I know you have drafts as well, but to compare the NFL to NBA, we're trading 20, 28, 28, 29 NBA draft picks. And in the NFL, you might trade a pick two years out and you would not see 2026, 20, 27 NFL draft picks being thrown around. Right. Um, yeah, I believe between the Kyrie and KD trade, they acquired seven first round picks the Nets did. So that's uh good for them. But a lot of those are far out, like you said, 2027-2029. That's the other part here is Phoenix is going all in on this year and Maybe the next two years at best, if they're able to hold all four of those guys together, but they've really in a, in some ways kind of mortgaged all of the 2020s to go all in and open up a championship, what they believe will be a championship window. So that's kind of the risk that you're taking when you do this. It reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of when the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis and then won the bubble championship. It's like they they leveraged everything to go all in on that one year. And yeah, it's probably worth it if you really feel like you can contend for a championship. And they, they can because the West is so wide open. And we've had this debate before. I think it's a sports philosophy thing. And I think of the Toronto Raptors, not that they're really terrible anymore. But they kind of went all in on that Kawhi year. Would you rather your team be mediocre for 10 years if it means one championship 
Or do you want your team to be a contender, maybe a, a Portland or a Denver where, hey, you may not win it, but you're going to be in the conference semifinals or conference finals. Your team's going to be a winning team that's fun to watch. Would you rather be, be a top five team but not win ever or be terrible for the one championship season? Ter- terrible for the one championship season, I think. Especially if you're in a smaller market, like Phoenix isn't the largest market. Toronto isn't either, and they went all in and got their city a championship. I think Phoenix is thinking, hey, if we can get everybody back healthy and playing well, we can win a championship with this with this unit. So that's uh that makes sense. I'm glad you brought up the Raptors though, because them and the Bulls and the Blazers and probably Miami, those were the teams that I was surprised didn't really make any moves at the trade deadline. In fact, the Raptors brought Jakob Pertl back from San Antonio. They actually traded him to San Antonio, but they brought him back. So not only did they not sell anybody, they actually bought someone. So I don't really know what Toronto's doing. I don't think they're a legit contender. Isn't- they're buying players. So you mentioned San Antonio. Does Greg Popovich have a moral objection to free agency and trades? Like <laughs> the the Spurs never make any big deals. It's all these other teams would be trading players left and right and draft picks like crazy. And Popovich is like, nah, free agency trade deadline. Not interested. Yeah. Today they, they did trade a couple of guys, Pirtle and Josh Richardson. And the, uh, the funny thing with San Antonio is they're, they're in danger of being below the salary cap floor. You have to meet like a certain minimum threshold and the Spurs aren't probably going to hit it because they don't have enough money paid out to guys. They have so many cheap contracts together on their team that basically whatever, whatever their ending salary is below the floor, they have to pay up to the floor and distribute that out to their players. So like the players on the, on the Spurs team are totally okay with this because they're going to get paid. They're all going to get like a, like a bonus check basically from the San Antonio Spurs for not meeting salary cap floor requirements. What is the purpose? Are they saving up for some huge off season coming up and they're going to go? I don't know. Somebody because it's, I don't know because we don't, we don't really have anybody coming free on the market other than Kyrie Irving, who I don't really feel like is going to go to San Antonio. Popovich um, and Kyrie in the same locker room sounds. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a comedy, right? That's that's a, watch those conversations. Yeah. That's a, that's a comedy show that somebody creates that, that isn't real life. Um, yeah. So there's not really a superstar for them to go spend on this off season. I, I don't really know. I mean, I think they're just trying to get themselves into the Wimbanyama sweepstakes is where they're trying uh, to go. Their highest paid player is Dougie McBuckets. Yeah. And he's probably what making 15 million 13, seven. Yeah. Yep. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, maybe they'll have to pay guys like Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson. Once their rookie contracts are up. I don't know. Can you name, talking about teams that didn't do a whole lot, can you name the two teams that did absolutely nothing today? Some teams did, maybe they trade the second round pick, but they at least did something. Can you name the two that made zero deals? I did not know this Yeah. Chicago Bulls and Sacramento Kings. Uh, You got one correct. The Bulls are one of the two correct answers. What did Sacramento do? I know they were on the list. Some some smart NBA person. They they did trade for Kessler Edwards. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was the one deal that Sacramento made. Um, would it be Miami? You're in the right conference. Uh, oh, Washington. You're getting more geographically correct. At least you're headed north. Oh, the Knicks. You're going the wrong way. It is my beloved Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh. Okay. Okay. All yeah. right. When you're the perfect team, you don't have to make trades. Hmm. I don't know about that, but they're a, they're a good they're a good team. But 
Yeah, it's really the Bulls is the team that I'm most surprised didn't do anything. There was rumors of a Levine to the next trade. It didn't materialize at the end, but I think that would have been smart to pull. I feel like the Bulls need to completely tear it down because they're not really going much of anywhere with their current core. I know Billy Donovan doesn't make all these decisions, but he feels like a guy who's kind of like that Popovich. And you know what? We're not going to make big deals. We're going to stand pat and work with what we've got. Unfortunately, that's going to leave them on the treadmill of mediocrity. So they're going to have to move off Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic this summer. And Lonzo Ball, who knows if he's coming back. There's actually some some people that believe that Lonzo Ball is never coming back, that his career might just be done. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case because I would like to see Lonzo Ball come back. I thought the Bulls actually looked decent when they had Lonzo in the lineup. I don't know if you know Lonzo makes that big of a difference, but uh, – they're a playoff team with Lonzo, and they're not a playoff team without him, so maybe he does. Well, we're going to – I can go down here. We talked about a lot of these teams, but just kind of do a, a roundup of the league, point out some of the highlights maybe we haven't gotten to. The Atlanta Hawks adding Sadiq Bay. If you don't know, he's basically your high-energy, high-motor, never-miss-a-minute guy. I think he played every single game of last year and maybe every game of the season so far for the Pistons. The Hawks, a team that we talked about maybe being sellers. John Collins is perpetually on the trade block. A couple other guys they were talking about, but Atlanta basically held it together and added Sadiq Bay. I don't know what that does for their standings in the Eastern Conference. I just think he's a nice piece to have and probably puts them more comfortably in the, the top six conversation. Boston, you mentioned, didn't really do a whole lot. Added Mike Mascala for some basically big man shooting, I'm guessing. Yep, um, 100%. Just a a sneaky little move by the Celtics there to kind of provide some shooting off the bench, maybe. And we talked all around it, but the Brooklyn Nets, their, their full day was added Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney Smith, four first round picks, a pick swap, 2029 first round pick, 2027 second round pick, 2029 second round pick, five second round picks, and some guy named David Michonneau. And they got rid of KD, Kyrie, TJ Warren, Markeith Morris, Jay Crowder, who never actually went there, and Kessler Edwards and $2.6 million. So busy day in the Brooklyn Nets front office. Yeah, 100%. And I, I do kind of like like I like Bridges and and Dinwiddie and some of the other guy Cam Johnson. I I like some of the pieces that they've got going on. Claxton, I think, is a decent player. So I think they have some decent NBA starters slash role players on their team. They just need to find new stars that are truly committed to staying in Brooklyn, which apparently Katie Irving and Harden were not. Um, so we'll always kind of remember this as like a a big time failed experiment here with the Brooklyn Nets. What we thought was going to be an awesome big three that was going to take over the league maybe really didn't materialize at all. What did we they say 16, 17 games they ever played all three together? All all three played 16 games together and they won one playoff series. And this should be your homework assignment for one of these weeks. What did they give up to put these three together? I know they weren't a lot before that, but if you could go back and track down what all the players and draft picks they got rid of to make these three a thing that uh, they got, they got rid of um, Jared Allen and Dinwiddie, who I think were kind of the biggest pieces um, that they got rid of. And they got rid of a lot of picks too. That would be something to look into, but I remember them trading uh, Jared Allen at the time. And that was not that was not great um, on their part. I feel like they gave up more than that too. But um, yeah, Jared Allen's really the one that sticks out in my mind. They gave up Jared Allen and a lot of picks. Basically, that's what they did. And who knows what those picks have turned into? That's that's something we need to figure out for a future show. Absolutely. Uh, since we talked about getting rid of Sadiq Bay, they did add James Wiseman. We can talk about him when we get to the Warriors, but kind of a curious case with him. Oh, 
Next alphabetically is the Warriors. So they added GP2, who wasn't he there for a while? He's This is his second trip with the Warriors, correct? He was there last year. Yeah, he was a big part of their championship run last year, actually. And then... So they're bringing him back. And they a, a good guard depth, a good role-playing guy to spell uh, Clay and Steph. But getting rid of James Wiseman, he was just drafted in, what, 2020, and everybody loved him. Like, coming out of high school, he was a number one all around, and now he's kind of going the Greg Oden route? Uh, Yeah. Um, The Pistons are just becoming the home for failed big men (laughs) who were the number two pick. Wait, I thought that was Orlando. uh, No, no. um, Because last year, the, the Pistons traded for Marvin Bagley. Ah. They basically traded uh, Trey Lyles and I'm not sure what else, but basically Trey Lyles and some other pieces from Marvin Bagley and Marvin Bagley hasn't hardly played in Detroit. And now they're doing, they're doing it all over again by trading for James Wiseman. Well, Detroit's or yeah, Detroit's not going anywhere anytime soon. So might as well experiment. Yeah. yeah 100%. Um, the Rockets didn't really do a whole lot. The the John Wall situation took him off the Clippers' hands and are waving him. We'll see where he ends up. Um, Can I just uh, talk about how funny that is? Because John Wall was in Houston <laughs> last year, and he he got his he forced his way to the Clippers, got there in free agency, was really unhappy in Houston, and now he's been traded back for Eric Gordon. Yes, so this. I don't know if I find this more humorous or I'm more outraged. John Wall is still the second highest paid player in the NBA. When's the last time he had a productive season? He is getting paid more than LeBron, Kevin Durant, Paul George, Kawhi, Giannis, Dame, Clay, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, Trey Young, Luca. The only person making need, more than him is Steph. You need to you need to talk to the Wizards GM about this. Oh. He's he's the guy who offered up this contract. Which so. It, it, it may be a different guy, but Bradley Beal is also the sixth highest paid player. So the Wizards are rolling out money. Nope, nope. Same guy, guy offering oh, up that contract to Beal. <laughs> and that's becoming a very bad contract as well. As much as I actually do kind of like Bradley Beal, he's not worth that. Jeez. So, yeah. And you wonder why the Wizards never go anywhere. Yep, because they pay star players superstar money. Ah. Uh, the Pacers not doing a whole lot. Got back George Hill, who I think played there like 15 years ago, and then Serge Ibaka, who we forget is still in the league. So the Pacers, uh, they yeah. got Jordan Wara. They got yeah. Jordan Wara. Don't don't, don't forget is. about the immortal Jordan Wara. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks fans on Twitter actually celebrated that Jordan Wara is gone. That's, <laughs> that's how you know that is maybe not good. So enjoy Indiana. And you talked about the Clippers, Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, Mason Plumley, really adding depth here. Watch the Clippers make a run, as we mentioned, getting rid of the John Wall. Luke Kennard and Reggie Jackson, so they kind of traded depth for depth there and got out of the John Wall deal. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, they parted with Kennard to the Grizzlies. I think that'll be a nice shooter to pair with uh, John Morant. And then Reggie Jackson, like we talked about, good buyout candidate, so he's probably going to end up on some other – contending team at some point and look for Milwaukee to be pursuing those buyout candidates because they freed up some roster spots with getting rid of Jordan Wara, Abaka and Hill in that trade and only getting back Jay Crowder with all those picks. So they're, they're probably going to explore some of these buyout candidates, I think in Milwaukee. Sticking in Los Angeles, going over to the Lakers who we touched on earlier D'Angelo Russell, maybe the most polarizing player in this entire trade deadline conversation. Malik Beasley, I think, is a nice role player. Jared Vanderbilt, I admit I don't know much about. Mo Bamba, who I refuse to give up, him being a, a stud, big man. But then they got rid of Russ, Patrick Beverly, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and Thomas Bryant. And then some draft picks moved around as well. This feels like a LeBron thing. I thought he did this one year in Cleveland where at the trade deadline, they traded like four guys for four guys, completely revamped the roster. I dare I say the Lakers may be able to make a push now if D'Angelo Russell has his head on straight and can contribute to them. I, I, the Lakers may work their way up into that top eight. Dare I say now that they have some, some shooting guards and no more Russ. 
Yeah, I mean, even if you end up in the top eight, you're still in the play-in conversation. And I do think that's ultimately what where this brings the Lakers is to the play-in. And I think they can be good enough to make it through the play-in tournament to actually make it to a playoff series. I don't think they're going to be a seven or an eight seed that can upset the one or the two in the West. I don't quite see that with this roster unless you're getting fully healthy, fully engaged Anthony Davis, then maybe you have a chance. But really what what they did was get guys that can shoot from outside of the lane. D'Angelo Russell can shoot the three. Malik Beasley can shoot the three. Vandermilt, not really known as a shooter, but he's going to add something on the defense and toughness side of things, the rebounding side of things the Lakers need as well. Um, Hachimura, I believe, is a good, decent two-way player as well. And so uh, Mo Bamba, I really like I really like him defensively on the interior too. So I don't think he brings a whole lot offensively to the Lakers, although he'll probably get some lobs from LeBron and that kind of a thing. But um, yeah, I really like what the Lakers did. I think it makes a lot of sense with uh, the roster that they have. And that's really what you want around LeBron is more guys who can shoot the three. And so now they've got that with Beasley and Russell coming over and they have it with like Lonnie Walker and, Austin Reeves can shoot the ball too. So they've got, you know, multiple shooters around LeBron and Anthony Davis, which is a good thing. The Grizzlies, Heat, and Bucks, not a whole lot of action that we haven't already talked about. The Timberwolves, the Lakers dance partner in that deal, the linchpin of a lot of this, taking Russ off their hands. Uh, Or sorry. No, actually. Picture of Mike Conley threw me off here. Uh, yeah. So picture of Mike Conley reading about the Timberwolves while he's wearing his jazz uniform. That's what I want to talk about. The, I, I really like Mike Conley. This is really interesting. I'm curious what the Timberwolves can do now. Yes. They add Nikhil Alexander Walker as well, but you add Mike Conley to Anthony Edwards, Cat, and Rudy Gobert, and you get rid of D'Angelo Russell, who it sounds like may not have played well with others in Minnesota. Watch out for this Timberwolves team. I, I know we're talking about the Suns and the Ma- uh, Mavericks making moves. But this Timberwolves team may be quietly the top four or five team. Um, I'm being too confident. I think you're being a little too confident. Hey, they are going to probably bring back Patrick Beverly after he gets bought out by Orlando. So that would be good for the Timberwolves because I thought he was a valuable piece for them. And they need to bring my boy Luca Garza up permanently. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he scored 25 points in 24 minutes the other night and then 19 points in 19 minutes the night before that. So um, maybe sign up a guy who can score a point per minute. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Well, you're going to need somebody when Cat inevitably gets injured. So if Garza can be the the next big beside yeah, Gobert. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, might as well throw him on the end of the roster, right? Can't hurt. Because he he's shown he can do something at the NBA level, so might as well might as well throw him on there. So the Pelicans mostly stood pat. I don't know if this was surprising at all that they didn't try to add something. They're a team that people thought were going to contend in the West, and as long as Zion's healthy, they look really good. But now it feels like the teams that were behind them got better, and they all they did was add a guard. Yeah, I really. I really thought maybe they were going to make some moves with like Toronto for, I don't know. I thought they could have been a surprise team to trade for Siakam or Ananobi or, or someone like that, or maybe like Ananobi and Vin Vliet. I felt like they could have made some sort of a deal with the Raptors or there was some talk about them making a deal with the Nets because the Nets are now loaded with wing players a lot of wing players that they're going to have to offload this summer. Probably I thought maybe uh, the Pelicans were going to make a subsequent deal for uh, Mikhail bridges with the nets. So uh, that never materialized. And also on the Ananobi front, there was some talk about the warriors getting Ananobi. And I'm glad that didn't happen because I feel like he would have been kind of the missing piece for the warriors. that would have, taking them to probably yet another championship run. So I'm ready for another I, uh, title. Yeah. I'm not really wanting another Warriors title. I, I want to see someone new win it this year. 
the Knicks and Blazers here, kind of two in one conversation traded with each other. Josh Hart, who I really like as a, he can be your, your starting, what about three or four tweener? A, a, I think a great leadership locker room guy. Those Villanova guys always seem to be great, you know, at least in, on the intangible side. Portland sending him to the Knicks in exchange for Cam Reddish or Ryan Archie Diacono and a first round pick. I like Josh Hart, but doesn't that feel like a bit of a steep price for him? Uh, it really depends on your feelings about Cam Reddish. Um, as an NBA player, I really, I really don't think so. I really think the Knicks kind of got away with that one. I thought, yeah. I think they got a valuable starter slash role player in Josh Hart, and we reunited Josh Hart, one Villanova guy, with another Villanova guy, Jalen Brunson. There you so, go. That's good. We've got, and we've got Mikhail Bridges, another Villanova guy in Brooklyn. So, hey, maybe this summer all three of them can just find their way to the Knicks. Maybe Mikhail Bridges can just find his way over and Knicks can just become a, you know, Villanova can just become a Knicks feeder program. Hey, I like the Villanova guys. Those are all great players. I do too. I do too. I, I really like Brunson and Hart. And I think, uh, that brings something to to the Knicks team. It brings another element of toughness and defense. T- Tibbs is going to love Josh Hart. Tibbs is going to love Josh Hart. You can play him 58 minutes a game somehow. He might. He might. So hopefully Josh Hart is well-conditioned because Tibbs might run him into the ground. Uh, it's talking about Portland, and then we'll loop Philadelphia in here. Philadelphia only really made one move, and I think it's surprising when I saw it come across the news and – a guy that I think you professed a lot of appreciation for. And along with that haul from the Knicks, Portland also added Matisse Tybel from uh, the Sixers, really the only move the Sixers made. I was really surprised by that. I kind of thought when Harden was down, he was the backup and kind of the second scoring option behind Embiid. The The Blazers did give up some guard depth with Josh Hart and Gary Payton the second. Portland is loaded with guards. They need bigs. They need size. So it makes sense to go get some depth in that department, give up your experienced guards and clear the path for the young guys. But Portland and Philly here, kind of two conversations in one and your, your guy Tybal getting moved. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Tybal is going to add good defensive intensity to the Blazers. And I think that's something that they need. They need another wing defender. Uh, but sneaky part of that deal was Charlotte sending Jalen McDaniels, who I really like to Philly not a name that gets talked about a lot because he's kind of buried there in Charlotte and Charlotte's a bad team. But I, I kind of like that move for the Sixers in getting Jalen McDaniels because he has a little bit of offensive punch off the bench. Not the same defender as Tybal, but Tybal is kind of like the new Andre Roberson in a way. Like you don't have to guard him at all, but he's going to play really intense defense. And so. That's that's kind of how I feel about Matisse Thibel. Yeah, I like that move for the Blazers. I just felt yeah. like the Blazers could have done more. Yeah, they're they're a team that, as we mentioned earlier, thought they may be selling off pieces, and there was whispers of Dame getting traded. But instead, it looks like they added, you know, got better. Uh, the so we talked about the Sixers. Magic didn't do a whole lot. Thunder didn't do a whole lot. The Phoenix Suns, we talked about them at depth at the beginning, but to really organize it, added KD along with TJ Warren and Darius Basley, who I'm not super familiar with. But like we mentioned, got rid of the depth in the glue guys. Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Dario Saric, four first-round picks and a pick swap. Taking a big risk, but it's worth it if you can bring your team a championship. And the Spurs we talked about didn't move a whole lot, but they did add a first-round pick in next year's draft and then a whole bunch of second-round picks for the future. Uh, your boys out on the beam team just added Kessler Edwards, the Raptors only adding Jakob Pertle, and then the Jazz. Now getting to talk to the Jazz, the third piece of that stool with the the Lakers and the Wolves, Timberwolves deal. So they added Russ, who you basically expect them to waive, Juan Toscano-Anderson and Damian Jones, and probably most importantly, got a protected first-round pick for the Lakers, which Danny Ainge will somehow turn into Victor Wembenyama. But they got rid of Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and a bunch of second-round picks. That protected first from the Lakers could be part of a trade-up, because I believe that 
first from the Lakers is a 2027 because that's all the Lakers have is 2027 and 2029. Will the Lakers draft in the 2020s? Do they have a first-round draft pick in the 2020s? If they keep their 2029 draft pick, yes, they will. But not before then. But not before then. Jeepers. That's what you get when you trade a lot of picks for Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Wow. So, yep. And they've made subsequent deals for Russell Westbrook and having to give up a first to get rid of the Russell Westbrook contract, basically to get D'Angelo Russell. So, uh, they really didn't do bad for themselves in getting D'Angelo Russell. I didn't think they would get that quality of a player back in the, in a Westbrook deal. I, I really didn't. I didn't think they would get Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt along with it too. I mean, they got three, you know, a decent NBA starter and a couple of decent role players for Russell Westbrook in a 2027 first. So I feel like the Lakers got a sweet end of that deal. I'm just randomly looking at draft picks from realgm.com. Looks like the Nets have at least three first round picks this year. The Hornets have three. Uh, The Bulls have three. The Rockets have one, two, three, four. The Pacers have three. Trying to see how if it'll tell me the, who doesn't have a draft pick. How many did the Thunder have? So I saw I saw something on the Thunder today, and it's it's over the next seven years. The OKC Thunder have fifteen first round picks and nineteen second round picks over the next seven years. They, so according to this, they, they must not have, this year they just have their own, but in 2024, they have one, two, three, four. So yep. must start in 2024. They have four in 2024. They have, okay, 2025 is where it gets crazy because you have all those like swaps and protected, but mm-hmm. it, it it is a very long paragraph that I cannot even begin to fathom on the fly here for 2025. Yep. 100%. So, okay. So he's got all these picks. I'm trying to look Stash and see, away. basically just going by who has the the longest. The Knicks have a bunch of picks coming up this year. It looks like in the first, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Jazz. The Jazz may have the most this year currently. One, two, three. Yeah, there's a couple teams currently with four. The, the, the Thunder really kick in next year. Yeah, that is the team that I am hoping and rooting for Victor Wembenyama to go to. Somehow, some way, if the Thunder can come out with the first pick, I know they're not bad enough to where they're going to truly be in the running, but uh, I'm hoping somehow, some way, because that's going to be quite the roster next season if they're able to add a generational talent like Wimbanyama to it, on top of Chet Holmgren as well, plus everybody that they already have. They nailed the Jalen Williams draft pick, too. Uh, so OKC, it's, it's almost kind of going to be like a, a new version of the team with, uh, Durant and Westbrook and Harden, right. That was completely loaded because they nailed all these draft picks. Right. That's, that's what I'm rooting for. A second coming of the OKC Thunder. I'll give you SGA and a couple picks for the first overall pick this year. So I can draft Wembenyama. Let's let's say you're the no. Rockets and I'm the Thunder. Nope, I'm not. I'm not trading SGA. Just not doing it. Ooh, you know nope. SGA, Chet, and Wembenyama would be your dream pairing. Yeah, and and Giddy. Giddy. I'm Ooh. real. I'm real high on Giddy and Jalen Williams. I think they have two potential All Stars with those two guys. Which Jalen Williams? Guard Jalen Williams or Big Jalen Williams? Guard, guard Jalen Williams. I think big Jalen Williams is a solid role player, but not uh, an all-star caliber player. I think they really nailed it with guard Jalen Williams. Um, so that's all the teams alphabetically, unless there's anything else we didn't get to or any uh, trade deadline news that we have not covered. Um, yeah, no, I think we really, we really covered it all. Uh, the only other piece is uh, 
big trade deadline for Adrian Wojnarowski. He seemed to have all the scoops on Shams. It seems like we go back and forth with this. It's always a a war between Woj and Shams. They used to work together, and now they're rivals. So uh, <laughs> Woj got the better of Shams this uh, this trade deadline. So just uh, got to throw that out there. Win for the old guy. Is today just like their Christmas morning? Yeah. Um, it's like my Christmas morning because, you know, I turn on the tweet notifications for Woj and Shams so I can be first to hear about everything just so I can, you know, be in the know. So a lot of, a lot of tweets coming out today, a lot of deals moving it. And yeah, this, and then when free agency opens, it's basically, there's nothing like it. Both those guys are just trying to out scoop each other back and forth. It's really, it's really something to watch. And a historic day, as you mentioned at the top of the show, and we typically don't see deals of this magnitude happen at the trade deadline. Huge names going to change the complexion. The West got a lot tougher. The East, the Bucks and the Celtics are feeling pretty good about themselves now. And it'll, it'll be interesting once we come back from the All-Star break as these teams all get in position. Quick question. How does this impact the All-Star game? Do you Great. know like, Great question, because like Kyrie it, was going to be an Eastern Conference All-Star, so that's not going to happen anymore. Okay, that was going to be my question to KD, and I assume KD and Kyrie were both All-Stars. Yeah, KD and, and Kyrie were both going to be All-Stars, uh, so I think that's thrown into flux now. I'm trying to look and see um, if any other All-Stars were traded, uh, or just those two. Basically just those two. Yeah, cause, yeah what does cause, that mean? I really, I really don't know how that works out. To be quite <laughs> honest with you, that's—I don't think we've ever seen that happen right. like that. And so that's—that's that's another crazy element of this trade deadline, right there. So do we? I'm trying to. Uh, this random Twitter account has the balloting, so I'm trying to think. Do we pull in, like, who would be? I'm thinking like the next highest vote getter. Trying to think would that be what it is? I believe so. So I believe that. so. So I'm trying to think, would that be Jimmy Butler or Pascal Siakam? I don't know. I don't want to. Something like, something like that. that. Um, but while Anyways, we, yeah. the, West, the West is going to beat the East because they're going to have to go to backup All-Stars now. So just throwing that out there. When the game is 190 to 187, the West is going to win? Yeah, 100%. While we have Andrew on here, we're going to get his picks on a couple things. First, UFC 284, a card that I'm not familiar with a lot of the guys. To me, it's it's one huge fight at the top. But Saturday night emanating from Perth, Australia, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, featherweight's going to bump up to lightweight to take on Islam Makachev for the lightweight bo- uh, belt. Volkanovsky seeing if he can become a double champ here. Uh, they uh, do have a in- featherweight interim title bout between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett. And then a lot of Australian and New Zealand fighters on this card, obviously, coming from Australia, they're going to get that local flavor on here. But this huge fight at the top that I'm really looking forward to, Makachev versus Volkanovski. UFC fight does not list any odds, but I believe a couple weeks ago, I bet and got Volkanovski at like plus 300. People are worried about the size because Makachev has been destroying people at his own weight. How is Volkanovski going to adapt to the size and strength? He's a pretty small guy, even at uh, 135, 145, but bumping up here, how does he handle Makachev's size advantage? But give me the Aussie, gives me Volkanovski, the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world, to pull the upset and become a double champ. What say you? Oh, I like that. I think that's bold. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen Makachev several times, and I really just think that this is going to be um, – very tough for Volkanovski. I respect how good he is and how, how great he's been. He's definitely a champion at his weight, but he's bumping up and he's going up against one of the best in that weight class. Give me Makachev. Um, I, I can't, I can't take the, uh, the underdog in this scenario. So give me Makachev. Well, agree to disagree. You're, you take the favorite, I'll take the underdog. Either way, it's going to be a fantastic fight. Makachev is 23-1 and in his pro career. Volkanovski is 25-1. and Kind of different styles here. Uh, 
I think if it stays on the feet, Volkanovsky, Makachev's going to have the advantage on the ground, a lot better submission, uh, grappler, all those skills. But Volkanovsky, I think, has the, the knockout power. Fantastic fight. I don't know if it's going to drive me to buy it or spend money to go to a, somewhere and watch it. I will be following along, though, and really looking forward to that top one. And then if we want to just pick the second one, give me Yair Rodriguez, who's the slight favorite over Josh Emmett. I think he captures that featherweight interim strap. Uh, give anything? me, go yeah. Give go me, ahead. give me Emmett on that one. We're, we're 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 coming up opposite on this UFC card. Good, and I I definitely will be posted up at my local Buffalo Wild Wings to watch this UFC card. Um, that's just my monthly tradition for the pay per view now. So I'll be posted up at the Buffalo Wild Wings for this one. Anything else going on this weekend in sports? Oh yeah. Some football game on Sunday. Ah, the the Andy Reid Kelsey Brothers Bowl. Yeah, um, should be an interesting game. Won't give an in depth preview. I know you already did that. I um, I think a lot of people are thinking Eagles. I'm gonna just quickly take the Chiefs. Hey, we 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 got one the same. I'm also betting on the Chiefs. I tried to rattle off all my other rationale in the other one and the more research i did it kind of was coming up eagles but kind of that gut instinct andy reed patrick mahomes the secret sauce give me give me the chiefs as well i think they're plus 150 underdogs last time i looked yeah yep and a significant amount of money coming in on the eagles so this is a classic uh, fade the public spot for me where i'm going against the public perception and uh, the most of the public money is on Hmm. The Eagles, so you know Vegas is back in the Chiefs, so it's uh my time to take the Chiefs right now because uh you can get them as an underdog and not gonna put you know a whole lot of money on it, but I'm gonna take the Chiefs as an underdog. Um the other thing is if you're looking for something funky to bet on, I strangely like a quarterback to catch a touchdown. <laughs> you can bet on that on fan on FanDuel. Some Philly special uh, flash- flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah, and I really do think that like Jalen Hurts would be the quarterback to catch a touchdown in the Super Bowl. It's pretty long shot odds, so I'm not saying put a lot of money on it or anything. Uh, definitely always game responsibly, folks. But um, yeah, it's just a, a random prop bet that I like out of all the prop bets that you can make. That's what the uh, one of the Super Bowl the fun things, and I was looking at it on DraftKings. No sponsorship, but it's the one that I bet on based on my state's laws. And they did have some some fun ones that I'm trying to get in on. I haven't put any money down yet, other than just picking the winner. But I need to find some of those fun props and parlays and silly things. One that I did talk about on the other show: first point by a field goal. For I was looking at like first scoring team to see if whoever scored first won more often than not, and they do. But weirdly, like the first point in the Super Bowl is almost always a field goal. Uh, so did you pick a team to score a field goal? No, it's and I'm not oh, even sure if this wasn't better. I need saying, I need to look if it's like like first points are whatever. Weirdly, yeah, field- you're picking the first points of the game to be just a field goal by either team. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So if you do like one of those yeah. like little grid things, what is it like final score of the first quarter, halftime, or I don't know, those like office pools, one of those oh, little checkerboard things. Super Bowl squares. Yeah, those things. Yeah. Um that's that's fun. Um you can also bet on uh the Super Bowl being a scoregami, which yeah, means I, that I saw that yeah. on DraftKings and I had no idea what that meant. What that what scoregami is is uh you're betting that if you say yes, you're betting that um the the final result will be a score that's never happened in the in NFL history before. Yeah. That's fun. If you say no, then you're just saying, oh, we've seen the score before. It's going to happen. So you're betting on like a funky score happening. So, Hmm. yeah. Um, You can also get wild and try to guess the correct score on FanDuel. People make a lot of money on those by guessing the correct score for each team. Well, do you want to put a bow on this show by giving us your score prediction? Yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs and... I believe the over under 50 and a half right now. ESPN has 51, but I'm sure it depends on where you look. 51. Okay. Give me, give me chiefs 34, 
Give me Eagles 27. So I think it's going to be a close game, but I think it's going to be lower scoring than everybody imagines. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm going with the over and I'm going with the Chiefs by seven, 34 27. So no score got me, folks. Well, we'll be back next week to recap the Super Bowl, talk about some NBA All-Stars and whatever else we may have, and see how well we did picking opposite on so many things. Thank you all for joining us on this fun bonus, uh, double-stuffed week of shows. And we will see you next week. 